what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of don't go up shit podcast uh we got to do an interview this time around i'm really excited about it uh, i've been begging you guys to get a hold of me and finally uh, i reached out to a, a friend and a former sailor of mine uh and so this will be episode 35 uh interview with amber viola uh she's an amazing person really great sailor uh that worked with me when i was at the a school uh and she is now a veteran, uh, a veterans activist, a student, a social worker, and an amazing human being. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, check it out. And if you want to do something like this or you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast. Or you can DM me on Instagram at Digo's podcast and hit us up. Let us know what you think of this interview. Uh, and then if anybody's interested in doing the exact same thing that you're about to hear, uh, hit us up. Uh, no history segment this time around because it is a pretty long episode, uh, but it was worth it. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, check it out. All right. So tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, your context, all that stuff, kind of like how you got from like the, your time in the military, everything that you've done all the way up to this point and kind of how you got to where you are now and what you're doing. Okay. I joined the military when I was 23. So I was kind of a late blamer. <laughs> yeah. um, I went in undesignated mm-hmm. because I wanted to leave right away. So yeah. I went to the Abraham Lincoln, which was my first command. I did one deployment on a Lincoln as an undesignated sailor in deck department. Mm-hmm. So that was so much fun. I mean, you know how BMs are, so yeah. they're crazy. <laughs> My dad was a working. BM a long time ago in a land far, far away. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. I would have loved to actually strike BM, but mm-hmm. the rate was full. Yeah. Um, so my next choice was Gunner's Mate. Mm-hmm. Um, I struck GM, and my second deployment I spent as a Gunner's Mate on the Lincoln. So when I left there, I went to... CSA school as an instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, bit of a culture shock for me, yeah. but it was a really great learning experience. And I enjoyed my time there. Uh, most of my time in the Navy was spent in Virginia. Right. So I was there up until I got ready to get out. Yeah. So what, what prompted you to separate? That's always a question that I'm curious about. And I, and I kind of know some of your background, but for those listening. Yeah. Well, I was, I just became a mom to a beautiful little girl. She just turned three and, um, had a crazy husband. Yeah, I know. (laughs) For those, for those that don't know what we left out is I was her direct supervisor for a lot of this. So I know a lot of this already, but go ahead. Oh my God. He's still a mess. Yeah. So I ended up kind of making a decision that I needed to put my daughter first and make sure I could take care of her. And I knew that with us both being in the military, it was going to be really hard, especially after I knew that I wanted to get divorced. Um, So that's my main reason for getting out was just her. And I wanted to be, be able to be home. Um, I didn't have anybody who was willing to kind of like take her when I was right, going like to deploy again. Family I knew I was going to go back on a ship. Yeah. Right. So what happened next? Like, so I know, I know you separated and you went back to Pennsylvania. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And then like kind of what, 
what happened? Where, where have you gone from separation to now? Like what have, where, where did you go? What did you do? Honestly, it was a crazy whirlwind because I applied for school mm-hmm. um, to Marywood university in September and I was separating while well, I was going on terminal leave in December. So I got accepted into Marywood, literally went on terminal leave, came home, found an apartment, moved and in, <laughs> and the next day I started school. Oh my God, that's bananas. Yeah. Most people take like a break or just like aren't prepared. So they like, when they transition, they're like, I don't know what to do with my hands. And then they like, take some a while to kind of get going as a civilian. So that's kind of nuts. I don't think I've heard a story like that before where it's that quick. It was so quick. And I just, I didn't want that downtime. Number yeah. one, because I couldn't afford it. You know, I was a single mom, so I needed my GI Bill to kind of kick in right away. And I actually did all of my disability and VA stuff before I got out. So my last check in the Navy, my very next Mm -hmm. check was my disability check. Look at you being on top of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard about the really long wait times. Again, I've never experienced it because... I'm a couple years from retiring, but, um, yeah. yeah, So when I knew I was getting out kind of, um, when when I was applying to school mm -hmm. in September and that whole fall period, I started doing all my VA stuff and meeting with the VA reps, doing my medical appointments and everything like that. So everything was kind of taken care of. That's amazing. I wish most, (laughs) I can tell you, I talk to my NCC a lot uh, about this stuff right now. uh, And she's working with a guy that I have that's getting administratively separated. And it's just like having those conversations about all the transition stuff. It's like, no one ever puts that kind of effort into it. And she's like, she, it drives her nuts, you know, because it's like her whole job is to like, make sure you're prepared and take care of you and ha- tell you about all these resources and hope that you leverage them. And most people don't, it seems like. And then when they get no, out, they, don't. they have all these issues because yes. they didn't leverage all those resources. It's, it's true. And I think you have to get over feeling guilty, I guess, or feeling like you're taking advantage of mm. the system. Um, like, for example, I have high blood pressure. I got diagnosed when I was in the Navy. High blood pressure (laughs) medicine is expensive. I'm thinking about smuggling you bacon cheeseburgers right now, but keep going. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you said that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's why those nurses were going to get mad at me if they found out I had a Five Guys burger stuffed in my sweater. Okay, they were so mad at me. Uh, so just little context. So she was on bed rest while pregnant and they were feeding her like crappy hospital food and jello. And I was going to go visit and I was like, Hey, do you need anything? She's like, I need to bake a cheeseburger. I'll bleep, I'll bleep that out. And I was like, done. Like, so I went to five guys and smuggled her a bacon cheeseburger two times. Two times. I ate that thing so fast. <laughs> you look like a starved animal. It was hilarious. Oh you destroyed that thing. <laughs> Oh my God. All right. Sorry. Sidetrack. No, it's okay. Yeah. So just, I didn't want to have to pay for medicine and different things Mm -hmm. like that. And that kind of was my motivation behind it. But whenever I talk to people who kind of don't want to go through the whole process of like disability and using the VA, um, that's kind of what I explain to them. It's like, 
I'm not going in saying I'm a combat vet who lost my leg. You know what I mean? I'm just, this is me. This is who I am. This is kind of what I had diagnosed in Navy. And now the VA kind of, you know, pays for my medicine and stuff. So, which makes complete sense. And I think a lot of people, like you were saying, have like a guilt associated with it. Yeah. About like, because I've read a lot of stuff about, um, how the number of people that are on disability and, and it seems like every conversation I have with retirees, like in preparation for retirement, there's a lot of that, like, make sure you're going to the doctor now and complaining about everything because it's going to get your disability rating up. And it's just like, I don't, I, I'm that guy where I feel like I'm like, I'm fine. Like I don't have a lot of medical issues. I, I've had some issues, but they're pretty like vanilla like that. I mean, I tore my labor once and like, had a couple other well, things. What and ends I'm up about- happening is as you get older, those right. issues normally get worse and they yeah, kind of will compound on each themselves. other. Yes. Yeah. And then and I- when that's not in your record, right. the VA like, won't do anything about it. Right. So if and- you already have it in there, then yeah. you can kind of, you know, go from there. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm going with is like, I'm not going out of my way to complain about everything, but I am like, I've been blowing stuff off too. Cause I think that's like the flip side of the coin is like, I have blown so much stuff off over a long period of time just so I could deploy. Like, I don't got time. Yeah. For that. I got to go to sea. <laughs> like I got to get this ship ready to deploy. I don't got time for this. And so like right now I'm pursuing, uh, and I've talked about it a few times cause like I, I'm, I have, I have, I've always had, and I know, you know, this, I've always had issues with my energy level. Yeah. Um, where I, I just wasn't sleeping well. So like I got a sleep study done while I, I was uh, at the A school. And then uh, it, they kind of were like, ah, that, that's part of it, but it's not everything that you're describing. And so like now I'm finally getting surgery soon for my, I have a, apparently I have a severely deviated septum and like some crazy thing growing in there and they got to like fix yeah, it that all. That can cause like strokes and right. heart attacks. And yeah. Like- <laughs> The more I read about it, the more I'm like, wow, I should have probably done something about this earlier, but it's affecting my sleep severely. And then that affects my energy level. So hopefully this solves the problem. But uh, but yeah. And then as I the more I read about it, the more I'm like, there's all these other health effects that go into it, too. And um, yeah, I I blew that off for I mean, God since before Fort Lee. Right. So like and I'm finally now dealing with it. So who knows? But uh, I think that's like the flip side of it is I blew some a bunch of stuff off and now I'm finally getting that stuff looked at and getting. Yeah. And that's fixed, what a lot so. of people do because you want to be deployable and right. you don't want to be seen as a person who's running to medical all the time. Right. But and, and somebody's got to pick up my slack when I'm gone is kind of the way yeah. I felt. I saw that, that guilt, you know. Yeah, somebody you just having feel bad all me. the way around. Right. There's not really a win there. I mean, like and it was kind of it felt like stuff. I guess you just like bite down on your mouthpiece it was like a i i'm masking the problems with youth and stuff where i was just like i can i can just grin and bear this and now i'm older and it's like ah, i don't want to grin and bear this anymore this sucks so right yeah right yeah um so tell me about i i've seen you transition into this like advocacy role where i see you on social media um you've been on podcasts you've been on television you've done speeches you've done all this stuff and I know it's on a varying like varying topics that are kind of related, but uh, just talk about like your veteran advocacy a little bit and and we can transition into like the some of the specific topics after that. But just talk about like kind of some of the stuff you're doing now. OK, so when I started going to Marywood, we have a um, like veterans 
club, I guess, on campus. And so it's all the veterans from school and everybody who's using the GI Bill. So that even includes dependent. So my first semester, obviously, I wanted nothing to do with them. (laughs) (laughs) like i just want to like wash my hands of this that's funny because i mean like i said when i first started i was still active duty (laughs) right so but the next semester i kind of got involved with them and i really realized that was my passion like i love veterans and i really wanted to just help my brothers and sisters so that's kind of how it all started and I became the um, public relations officer for the club. So I started doing all the social media for our club on Marywood and everything like that. And so that's kind of how I started using social media for advocacy. And then through that, I've just been meeting people with different veterans groups and organizations. Um, I go to my local American Legion and I've been a member there forever. That's probably like the first bar I ever drank at. <laughs> um, so when I first came home, they asked me, you know, like, hey, Memorial Day, we would love it for you to sing and to march in our parade and just do stuff. And it kind of yeah. took off from there. Nice. Um, this last semester, I did a 450-hour internship at Community Intervention Center which is a homeless day shelter. And I met veterans there who were homeless. And I started just kind of talking to them and, and seeing where they were at and what was going on. Um, And now I'm on the board of like a veterans resource council and different things like that. I gave a speech last month about veteran suicide Mm -hmm. um, for veterans month at a nonprofit organization that works with people who are in recovery from addiction and their families and stuff. So I've just been kind of doing everything I can to really advocate for veterans because honestly, veteran suicide for me is just such an, an epidemic. Right. And I feel like if any other group of people was just dying at this rate, it would be such a bigger deal. Right. And it honestly, it just breaks my heart. Um, I lost an ex-boyfriend on a Lincoln to suicide uh, two years ago. Uh, his anniversary actually uh, was a few weeks ago. And now active duty suicide rates are like climbing really, right. really high. Right. And I don't know why. And I think it's multiple reasons, but I really just want to want to try to help. Right. Yeah. I, I did an episode with a chief that I don't know if you've seen him on social media. His name's uh, Grant Khan, but specifically on like the mental health issue and suicide in particular, where it's just like some of the super public like suicides that have happened recently where like the statistics and everything else have been talked about a lot too, but there's been some really like just huge red flags where uh, active duty sailors are and it it disturbs me because a lot of times it, I, th- I feel like it's linked to leadership and like uh, toxic leadership specifically. And I've had a lot of the A school students have reached back to me and, and I don't know if you've had similar experiences, but like kind of expressing stories like that where they just had this really bad experience, whether, and, and I wasn't there, so I don't like pass judgment on it necessarily, but something's negative is happening, obviously where yeah. these sailors are experiencing something extremely negative 
perceived by them to be extremely negative or actually that where they it it severely and negatively affects their mental health. And they're getting to the point where had students just like break down and they were kids that you're just like, oh, this this sailor's going to perform at a high level when they get to the fleet. They're going to crush it. They're going to do all these great things, blah, 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 from a leadership perspective. And then when they get out there, they try to do that and they meet this <laughs> resistance from a toxic leadership structure or a pers- whether or not it it actually is that or it's per- just perceived to be that, which is going to have yeah. the same effect on that sailor, right? It's like they go through this like mental struggle where they, I mean, it can go just with like mental health issues or it can go with just separation and then they re- recover or it can go to either a veteran or an active duty sailor killing themselves. Yeah. And it just, God, it blows my mind. And I, I continue to like dig into that and think about that a lot just for that reason. Um, Cause I, I don't think anybody's hard. not you just feel like by it. your leadership doesn't care about you. Right. And you know, people are really going through. I'm at a school. I remember just people going through stuff that I was just like, wow. Yeah. You know, um, but you or myself or the other people that were there would take the time to sit down and have a conversation with them and, and talk to them, you know, 20 minutes of your day just to talk through something with somebody can really help them. You know, right. and, and a lot of you, them are kids. Do you? Th- yeah. And do you think that it's funny? I just <laughs> I got on Reddit and I was given a bunch of grief about uh, on an episode I did recently about calling them kids. And I'm like, it's not look, I'm not like <laughs> just for everyone's awareness. When I call them kids, like it's because a in, the, in my mind, they are kids because I'm old. But also like I they're my right. kids <laughs> like they're I don't have kids. So they're my kids. Like I treat oh my them gosh, that they way. were like my babies. <laughs> yeah. Right. And like, I don't think people understand that relationship when they're at the junior sailor level where like for yeah. me it's like those are my those are my kids man i still track like a ton of a school students that are like me too some of first classes now it blows my mind but like yeah i yes one of my cl- very first class leaders is a first class um, oh my goodness yeah it's i mean a couple of them now but uh yeah insane but yeah a- anyway so like I, but they're eight, I don't, like if you're 18 years old you're yeah you're, you're a kid, kid. <laughs> I, yeah i don't care yeah, you're a kid I, i'm not sure tra- i'm not like insulting or like but you're a kid um, do you think that that, so sitting down and having that conversation, do you think that that is not typical of like most of the leadership experiences? Like, so basically what you experienced on the Lincoln and, uh, even at the A school oh, with, I mean, hopefully I was good, but like, <laughs> like, do you think that that's typical where when you're having that kind of an issue that there is anyone in your leadership structure or is it, is it rare that you find a leader that you can sit down with and that'll expend that amount of time? But effectively doing a job, in my opinion. But I think it's rare. I think that the yeah. human side of being a sailor gets forgotten once people start climbing the leadership ladder. You know, they just look yeah. at you as like a sailor and mission comes first. And yes, it does. But if you have somebody who doesn't have it together, A, I right. don't know if I want them on my mission and right. be like, we need to fix that so that they are mission ready. Right, you know, cause that, that every includes time someone, someone says the mission comes first. It's like, guess what? Genius. The sailor is the mission. When you're in a leadership <laughs> position, your mission is taking care of sailors. That's it. 
the sailors do the mission. The sailors stay in the watch. The sailors like the the sailors that we're talking about, like the, those are the ones that do the mission. Like you're just there to make sure they're mission ready and that they have everything that they need and that they're taken care of so that they're ready to do that. That's how you get mission ready. And, uh, yeah. My brain. And I think that it's just. People forget that. And yeah. and I think burnout has a lot to do with it, too. And I know they've been doing like different studies like, oh, mm-hmm. sailors need more sleep. Like, right. no kidding. Because <laughs> as you just talked about, like sleep is really important. Right. And when you're standing news watches, when you're on five and dime, you know, yeah. and you're not sleeping, you're missing your meals underway because yeah. you're on watch every single time a meal is served. So right. you're not eating. You know, it's just kind of can become a snowball effect yeah and so you kind of touched on it but like why do you think that that type of a response to a sailor having an issue is rare like that type of attention is it beside i mean you said burnout but like i on shore duty i'm not burnt out right or at least i yeah. shouldn't be so like why as as a sailor progress because because that's what i feel like is lost in this adversarial relationship that you see which is another topic that i'm spending a lot of time on is like the the divide between like junior enlisted and senior enlisted it's like all of senior enlisted used to be junior enlisted so like what happens on that path to senior enlisted leadership positions where you think that that disconnect happens where it's like because you because the people complaining or having issues or or whatever the, the people that need the attention and that are screaming for it are junior sailors. And it's like if a senior enlisted leader that is not providing that attention used to be a junior sailor and used to have that perspective. Like, when did that transition? Like, where did that get lost? You know what I mean? I think it's I've heard people say, well, I got treated this way. So yeah. that's why I'm treating you this way. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of the the stance on it is like, well, my leadership treated me like this. So, right. And and I'm fine. So you're going to be fine. You're not fine though. Yeah. I hear, I hear that a lot. And I actually talk about it a lot too, where like when I was a young LPO in, and that's why this platform exists and why I'm so passionate about leadership development and education is because I didn't get it on my way up. And I screwed a lot of stuff up when I was a younger leader because it was like in absence of that, toolbox of being provided that foundation, right? Where I was taught all the way up and actually had like really robust leadership development and education. It was like, I got to be a, I was at like seven years. I was this young first class LPO on a submarine and I didn't really know what to do. I, I, I didn't, I thought I knew what to do, but like I'd never really been trained the right way. Yeah. So when I went back, I defaulted, not even realizing it being the guy that was like, when I get in that position, I'm going to do a better job and I'm going to take care of my sailors and I'm going to be the leader that I wanted when I was a, a very junior enlisted. And then when I got there, I find my found myself in a lot of positions where all these demands were being put on me. And I was like, I didn't know how to handle it or how to get the desired result and please all these people in like juniors, seniors, peers, whatever. And so I kind of like regressed almost mentally where I just like defaulted into that thing that I saw happen when I was junior. And so like, oh, that's what you do when you're in this position. And then I had a eureka moment and finally got my head out of my butt. But yeah, it was it was I spent probably the first six months like being a screamer and like not being sympathetic (laughs) to their concerns and like doing all that that 
stereotypical like bad leadership stuff and i was just like and then i had this well, when me and my where, brother both made e5 at the same time yeah and he's in the air force and he right. like went away to leadership school right and did like a whole thing and it was oh, really hard right. and the it's, army does that and the marine corps does that why don't we do that i mean i had a yeah. two-day powerpoint that i actually missed one day because right I had watch. So right. didn't get <laughs> you, know, made you up get your any, certificate. Yeah. <laughs> and Which, he went away and had to like pass this whole yeah, school that was like a month a, long. A and community they had, it college. was a big deal. Yeah. The Air Force has a community college. <laughs> they have the Airman Leadership Course where it's like all these different levels. Like that's where the the rope program that we created at Fort Lee, like I stole all that from the Air Force. They had an Airman Leader program and I went to the uh uh, what are they called? MTIs? Is that what they call them? MTLs. Yeah. Air Force um, MTLs. Uh, yeah. And I took their books and I I was just I was talking to the MTLs. I'm like, give me all your, your airman leadership books. And I that whole thing is just and I did it on purpose. It wasn't because I'm unoriginal. <laughs> it was like I wanted it to parody that because we were in the same building. So the Air Force and uh, the airmen and sailors were in the same building. So I wanted the rope structure and the program to kind of mirror the Air Force because we worked together all the time. So I wanted it to be this kind of the same thing. But um, but yeah, I got all that from them because it was already like, why re why reinvent the wheel? Like, just give me yeah. all everything you got, and uh, yeah, and I mean, and we're I, the only brand not doing it, and right. obviously, it's and not the working. issues are showing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and that's what I, I, I feel like a broken record a lot of times because I, I always go back to like leadership solves everything, like not like, and that's like. A, probably not a totally accurate statement, but it seems like every problem that I see, it's like if you go back to the very beginning root cause, eh, mental health issues, are they all going to be solved by good leadership at the beginning? No, a lot of them will. <laughs> and like the suicide issue and attrition and every you could go look at all the ship collisions, look at disciplinary issues, like look at uh, the, the very senior leadership you see on the cover of the Navy Times getting fired. Yeah. All of that, if you went back to the very beginning and all the leadership had really robust development and education on their way up, would we have had the same problems? Would we have such a disconnect between the chief's mess and junior enlisted? I don't think so. And it's uh, so that's kind of like, why it's like. I know that we have a lot of traditions in the Navy because it's right. old, but it's just, I think too, like all the separation between the leadership. And junior enlisted sailors kind of yeah. makes it hard for people to feel like they can maybe approach or mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just so it's so different from other branches, you know, right. too, about just how distant our like we don't even eat together. You know, eating right. together is such a communal thing and a time right. to just get to know people. And, yeah. you know, if your first class comes and sits and eats with you and not on like a fraternization level or whatever, but just in like a regular human being level, like, Hey guys, what's going on with you? How are you guys doing? Right. You know, let's tell some jokes or what. (laughs) I think I I don't know if it's like this on the surface fleet, but in in submarines, I, I think I'm, I totally missed this for just by happenstance where it was like, it's not like I didn't see it happening. Like chiefs eat early on a submarine. They have their own table. Like we don't have the space for them to like have their own mess, which they do on a lot of ships, but they they'll come early. They'll get invited early or whatever. And they'll eat and and all that. And it's kind of like, there's like a little bit of 
junior enlisted angst towards that. But it's because it's not they don't have their own place on the same level and there's not as much separation on submarines. Like it's an issue, but it's not as big of an issue. But I, I missed it because the cooks eat before the meal because they have to serve the meal and then they have to clean yeah. up afterwards. So I would usually eat with my cooks because it gave me that opportunity to like touch base with them, talk to my records keeper, do all these other things that right. I didn't have time to do. Cause I had to go stand eight hours a watch. So right. it was like, I, it was, it, I kind of missed that completely, but I've been talking about it a lot lately with other people that as I ask, as I ask the questions, why is there such a, a gulf between junior enlisted and senior enlisted, like, why does that trust not exist? Uh, that keeps coming up. And it's like, it's interesting to me that it's something that's, it seems kind of innocuous, but it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, no, it's definitely it not it, on a, on the ships. I mean, even y'all's food is better. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, again, like I, and I, I kind of didn't understand it until it was explained to me because I, I don't experience that either. Like the officers yeah, and the chiefs yeah. eat the same food. So but I, I did like I did kind of know that like I've been on surface ships before and I've interacted and I mean, I, we taught a school like I know I know that the messes are separated. I didn't like I kind of thought they ate the same menu. They're supposed to be eating the same menu. I can tell you that's what the book says. But like mm-hmm. I yeah, I, <laughs> right. And that's why. And even the practice of like I'd always see um the like the best CSs would get pulled from the galley to go be like the CEO's cook. And it's like, why? Yeah. Why, why is that? <laughs> like, you're not special. Like, I know you think you are, but like, you're just, it, you should be eating the same food as everyone else. But yeah. I, and I I've noticed that com- that comes up a lot. The separation, like different uniforms, like they got their own little like clubhouse to go to. And everybody thinks that there's all kinds of nefarious things going on behind the door, which I mean, may or may not be true from command to command, but like I I could tell you most of the time, the vast majority of the time, it's not it's not what you think it is. Like if you could be a fly on the wall, even though it it not it doesn't always come out that way to this. And and again, my context of submarines, my experience of submarines, but like the conversations that happen in that room are generally like passionate debates or conversations or whatever on how we can best take care of sailors. Does it always work? No. Do we always win? Like, cause it, obviously a lot of times the stuff that is discussed in there has to get then screened through the upper chain of command. Yeah. And sometimes it gets completely turned around and we have to walk out of there and be like, yeah, this is totally our idea. <laughs> but like, so I think a lot of that gets lost in translation too, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's the separation. I, I, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm working towards like kind of, pinning down guests from other services. A lot of the people are, are people I met while I was uh, at Fort Lee, but I uh, getting army NCOs, air force NCOs, Marine Corps NCOs to sit down with me in this similar format and just kind of talk about the differences and what works and what doesn't in their experience. And um, I got an interesting one where there's a guy that uh, he was in the Navy for six years and then he's now an army warrant officer. So it's going to be, a cool perspective. Ooh, I wonder what his, uh, right. Well, I can tell is. you his, his opinion is the army does it better, but he's oh. very, he's very like, um, he's got really good arguments and reasons for thinking that way. It's not just like a, now I'm on the grass is greener side, but it, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a super interesting conversation. I'm really excited about it, but that's something I want to explore too, is because we've had conversations lately um, where it's uh, we being just everybody that interacts is about that and the differences and what one service does better than the other and, and why it's 
it's better. And so it's kind of interesting to me because like the concept of like chiefs eating early or chiefs eat having their own place to eat. Like why, why is that? I don't see us gaining anything with, with that, like having a space. Sure. Like, yeah. but cause I have, get that you need a space away from your people, you know, right. and you need a, like, like a grown up moment you right. know, away. And I a hundred percent get that, but I think you're right. That kind of the perception is just what's going on in there. And mm-hmm. then too, you just feel like you're nobody. You yeah. Know? It's intimidating. You're an E nothing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like I I've heard a lot of, of like just the, I don't, and I know it's like this everywhere where there's like a big sign on the door. It says like the procedure for entering. And so it's like, there's all these barriers artificially placed between that sailor and their chief. And it's like, yeah. why, <laughs> why? <laughs> like, I'm going to nail that door open. Like why? It doesn't make any sense. Like the, yeah, there are times where we have to have meetings and stuff like that. But other than that, that door should be open. The sailors should be able to like come in with very little like resistance so that they can have access to that supervisor. Like it doesn't make any sense. Right. But, and I don't think we gain anything from it either, but that's another story for another time. Um, <laughs> I don't want to go too much down that rabbit hole just cause like we talk, I'm going to talk so much about it coming up. I got a bunch of stuff scheduled. I'm pretty excited about that one, but, uh, I kind of, I want to shift focus to military sexual trauma. So, that's something that I know you're really passionate about. And it's something I'm interested in because I, I've had a couple experiences lately interacting with junior sailors where I've been trying to kind of help them get the help and advocacy that they needed from the right resources. And I spent about 90 minutes with a Sark recently explaining to me the program. It's part of like my Cobb calls and stuff. But uh, I also I, I was dealing with a situation where somebody asked me for help and I, I, I like I didn't know what to do. And so I was like, I should yeah. really plug this gap. So I went and spent 90 minutes with a Sark and learned a ton but as far as as far as your advocacy for it just talk about like like how you got into that and why that's something you're so passionate about and what you're doing with it so i was kind of voluntold to Mm. become a victim advocate on a lincoln and i didn't mind you know so Initially, you go through a week training. It's 40 hours and it's normally given by like a SARC and different people working with the SARC and they're normally all civilians. Mm -hmm. So all of mine were actually social workers. So that's why I became a social worker. Right. Um, But the training is honestly, that was probably the best training I ever got in the Navy. Like, I still remember the things that I learned and things like that. So after you go through the training, basically, you're the go-to person for anyone who has any issues related to, like, sexual assault. Mm -hmm. So military sexual trauma is any type of sexual assault, anything like that that happens to you either while you're in a military or even it can be before you were in a military, but right. it's like affecting you. Um, right. That was so they something just- I, th- I thought was super interesting. Like the Sark explained to me that like it, so active duty service member or family member, if you had sexual trauma prior, like way prior to your time in the military, you can still seek treatment on the same yeah. level as if, and I was like, it makes a ton of sense, but I had no idea. And she explained that to me in, in, in depth. And I thought it was really, a lot of people that have been victimized 
I don't know what it is, but perpetrators or predators can literally spot a victim out and know that that person has already been assaulted and right. the reassault rate is so high. So when talking with different like clients I had um, in the Navy, a lot of them were reassaulted. You know, they right. were like molested or raped as a child and then assaulted again in the Navy. And I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's kind of like a lion and an antelope thing where they pick out the weakest, but that was kind of something that I learned that I didn't know. And they're, right. they're trying to make the process better and smoother for victims, but it's a lot. And one of the issues that I'm helping people work on right now is who have a bad discharge, Mm -hmm. um, getting it turned over so that they can get treatment for military sexual trauma. Because a lot of times what happens is somebody will get assaulted. They won't tell anybody. And then they turn to drugs or alcohol. Um, A lot of people will gain a lot of weight. Right. And then they end up getting kicked out of their service. And then now they're not eligible for benefits at the VA. Right. And they only like so the disciplinary process happens for that infraction without like a root cause analysis. Like, hey, this is why this happened. And there's. yeah, Yeah. okay, that's interesting. Exactly. And so that's something that I really eventually in the future would like to help change that whole process and stuff like that um but so once i got out i really wanted to become a social worker and help female veterans because it's something that i mean it happens a lot and it happens more than i think people would like to admit and again i don't know how to fix it but i want to really help people who are going through that process just to get the counseling and therapy that they need and advice, um, give them references to whatever um, other things that they help them in their life because it just affects so much. It becomes like a snowball effect. Um, I had met a girl who got kicked out because of her weight, but she was repeatedly raped when she was in Iraq at right. gunpoint and she ended up, wow. you, you know, she didn't tell anybody or really say anything and then said something kind of after the fact, but then it was too late. It's too late. Yeah. And, and there's no mechanism for that type of a complaint, like via kind of like the Sapper program, they have the different mechanisms for making a report. Like there's no way for them to, even even if they so like take the disciplinary issues out of it or, or whatever reason they were like separated like let's just say a, a service member separates honorably and then like a couple of years after they get out they decide they want to report that is that there's no mechanism for them to go kind of go back and just say hey this happened and i want to report it to make sure that you know this doesn't happen again um they can it's not going to be the same Right. Um, and I mean, I've had people who didn't report and then kind of go back and report, but more yeah. go back and report just to get 
like the benefits. Okay. So Is I'm not any, sure yeah. about going back and reporting to actually try to like, like get the person to get arrested and, yeah. and all that. But I'm sure that there is. And there's got to be like skepticism when like all of a sudden, like, so they get separated with a discharge that removes benefits and then they go back and report to try to regain yeah. benefits. Oh, of it's course. like, so that's got to be a really tough like process. Have I mean, you had any skepticism all around? With right. It? Like people, it's the one crime that you're a victim that people just don't believe you. Well, like, yeah, you could say, yeah. Hey, I got okay. carjacked and people would believe you, but you say, right. Hey, so-and-so assaulted me and people right. start asking you questions. Like yeah. you did something wrong. They kind of like assume they know the character of the accused and they're like, no, that couldn't have yes. happened. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And, and then I, and I, you have people getting like, there was a girl who got assaulted and she did go and report it, but right. she was drunk and she was underage. So then she got slapped with like an underage <sighs> drinking in the military. And they probably took that more serious than they did. <laughs> so you have people who are afraid to come forward because they're afraid that they're going to get in trouble for something. Right. Right. You know, and that becomes a barrier to people, you know, saying anything. But I mean, yeah. as a sapper, you can't say anything to people but there's times when you know that that same person has raped more than one person and there's nothing you can do about it because the victims um don't want to you know go through the process right right oh god that's yeah um have you had any success with like overturning a discharge in order to get somebody treatment for an assault? Yes. And I'm working on my second now. (laughs) Nice. Can you talk about any of it generally? Like I know I obviously. So basically what had happened was it was another underage um, drinking thing Mm -hmm. and drugs. It was spice. I believe it wasn't weed. Yeah. And so she ended up getting a general discharge. I met a guy like at the homeless shelter that I worked um, with one of the meetings and he works for the VA mm-hmm. and he works in the records department and that is his job. So I got a hold of him and talked to him. And the first thing is getting a copy of your specific discharge. Cause a lot of times people think their discharge is one thing, but it's something else. So just getting a copy of that and going through that with a fine tooth comb Mm -hmm. and seeing exactly what they put on there and why, and then you appeal it. So it's like any appeals process, you know, filling out an appeal application, sending in letters. If you can get anybody to write you a letter Right. To say, like, this person told me this, or I was there and I witnessed that. And then you right. can get that notarized and you can send okay. that into um, is it either a BCNR? the VA. Or the is, it all through the, is it a BCNR or is it all through the VA because they're not in the in the military anymore? Um, the, the appeals it's a, piece. It's through the VA. Okay. Yeah. So, because gotcha. technically, I mean, you're a service member. So, like you can go there. Your benefits just 
like how I can go there and get everything for free. Right. They can go there, but it's not. Right. Okay. So um, our VA has um, MST coordinator. Mm-hmm. I believe right now that position is vacant. So okay. I actually really want that. I job. was just about to say, I sound, sounds like I'm talking to a potential candidate. I am. I'm doing my master's right now. Okay. So as soon as I finish next year. Yeah. Nice. That'd but be that the process is long. Obviously, right. it's the military. Yeah, it's going to take um, forever. Yeah. But I think the letters that other people wrote definitely mm-hmm. helped with that one yeah. in kind of swaying the decision. So they yeah. overturned it. So now she has an honorable discharge. Nice. Are they like evidentiary letters, like almost like a statement of what happened? Or is it more like characterization of their service or both? Like what kind of what kind of letters are these people pursuing? So some both of them, I think okay. anything that you can get. Right. Um, But some of them would be like, I told my roommate. Yeah. What happened? So your roommate is now writing a letter saying, hey, you know, back in. 2011 she told me what happened to her right you know i'm swearing to this and everything like that yeah okay that is really cool i hope you get that job that would be amazing <laughs> i know like i do too because my- the previous one uh, he actually was working with the girl that i'm working with now uh-huh. and apparently he wasn't great so. <laughs> yeah well shocking <laughs> shocking those are jobs that i feel like you gotta get somebody that's super passionate about the cause kind of thing like it's almost we don't really have any veterans working at our va um really they're hiring for social workers right now but there's no veteran social workers uh, and there's no veteran are there any um, like military therapist. spouses that do it or like I'm or is it all sure. just random civilians that Oh, that, I don't know if there's any like dependents doing it, but yeah, because like my a really good friend of mine it was I want to she's a social worker as well. And uh, she I was I think she was effectively the Sark for the army uh, out in Hawaii. And uh, same thing, like it's kind of the same thing where she like has context from being a service member spouse for X number of years. So she at least has that. You know what I mean? Instead of like, yeah. I, I feel like it should be, almost be a prerequisite. Like, <laughs> I mean, I honestly feel like oh, it should wow. be too because I go to therapy at the VA and yeah. like how, none how of you, them are veterans. Yeah, how do you understand and advocate for for veterans if you're not a veteran? Like, how do you even know. understand what's coming out of my mouth? And then there's you just don't. like, and then you have to explain so many things right. that you wouldn't have to explain to somebody who was a vet. No matter then, what service, you know. And then beyond that, when I would th- I would think that when they dispense whatever like counseling, that their credibility is in question in your mind because they've never served. So it's like you're giving me advice on how to deal with things that happened during my service and you have no context. So uh, why, that's like why a lot of veterans don't go to therapy. Right. And don't use the VA for that reason, because there's no veterans there. That's nuts. Are there, do you have experience with like, cause you said, I know you, you said a bunch of names at the beginning and I don't know what any of them are. I can like infer, but like the, are there veterans groups outside of the VA? And I, and I know they exist generally, but like that you work with or have interacted with that would be a better resource or like are 
kind of like uh, anytime humans identify a problem like this, they're going to find a solution themselves. So it's like, there's gotta be a group of veterans somewhere that gather to kind of solve this problem of, well, the VA counseling sucks. So we're going to get together and do this ourselves. Is there, so is there something like that? Vet centers here okay. um, in Scranton that uh-huh. actually didn't know was a thing before. Um, okay. But they're like, kind of affiliated with the VA, but they're their own separate thing. And you actually can go to these vet centers to get counseling or to work on your disability claims or anything like that. So they'll like help you with all the paperwork and stuff. Okay. They will. Yeah. They'll help walk you through the process and stuff like that. I'm not sure how many of those have a lot of vets working with them. Right. Um, Because the girl that I was helping now actually went to one of those vet centers and she Mm -hmm. felt like they totally screwed her over. Really? And screwed up all her stuff. Yeah. Uh, Huh. Yeah. I I think it's something I need to do more research on. Um, I'm going to try to do a TGPS class, which is used to be taps or whatever. Ten other names it used to have. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) like just to get the information like to start learning about the stuff because i mean i'm close enough like i even if i do stay in to be be a cob and a cmc it's like i'm close enough that i feel like it would benefit me significantly to learn about all that stuff so even if i go back to be a cob it's like i'm gonna be the senior enlisted so it's like i'm gonna have sailors transitioning out of the navy at various yeah. stages of their career so to, I to know twice, all those things just to yeah. go through and kind of like get all the information and because i mean i had no idea what i was doing right and i knew that I needed to have it together for my daughter. Right. So, you know, they give you a lot of information, Mm -hmm. but I do understand when you're getting out, you're probably tired, you're over it. Yeah. And (laughs) I just don't don't want to deal with any of it ever again. Yeah. I can, I can understand that completely because that's how I feel at the beginning of every shore duty. Like, ah, I'm not doing this anymore. And like, I just want to distance myself from it. I remember being at taps class and like, I guess one of my hair clips had like the black had kind of fallen off. Mm-hmm. So I had it in my hair and I remember getting screamed at by, by like this chief about You're my beret and my clothes. And I, and I literally taps, was right? just, no, well, they were in the class. And right, I just but you're in civilian clothes, so you. Well, it was like the first day, so we had our uniforms on. Oh, okay, gotcha. And I just remember looking at her like, see, this, this is why. <laughs> this is why I'm not. Yeah, and that, God, that it breaks my heart. I That's literally like, took it out of my hair and like had her watch me throw it away because I was like, yeah, I don't even care yeah. enough about like, this thing. I, that like- I'm at taps class. Guess what that means? <laughs> Oh, God, I that that stories like that break my heart because it's like that's the reason why we lose bright, high functioning sailors to attrition. Like it's not and because like a lot of arguments made about why leadership sucks. uh, People like to say that attrition is why like all the smart kids go home and you're just left with all the dumb bottom of the bottom of the barrel people. And it's like, that's not even a little true. Like if you if you go through and actually like meet these people and like every chief's mess I've ever been a part of was full of majority of people that all they wanted to do was what was best for their, their sailors. 
whether or not they were equipped to do that, whether or not they knew how to like effectively execute that, whether or not they believed passionately that their way was the best way, even though it wasn't like there was all kinds of different reasons why they probably weren't doing it the best way and were perceived as negative on the receiving end, like on the junior sailor end of it. Yeah. Like there's a ton of different reasons why that happens, but I can tell you like on the other side of that door where everybody thinks all this crazy stuff happens, it's usually a very flawed group of immature or varying stages of development is a better way of putting it leaders that are still figuring it out like you're not bestowed you're not like smacked in the head with a magic wand the day you get pinned and like now you're a leader and you know everything and you have every resource and you have all this experience and all this other things that you didn't have six weeks ago everything because i remember being a sapper and fighting with people's leadership or fighting with my leadership about like my victim's right to privacy and right. you don't have a right to know this. And why right. are you being so mean? <laughs> Which like, they could learn all these things if they were shipped off to like how you like your brother were shipped off to a leadership course when they make the next rank or whatever. And they're, they're working on that. So like a lot of people, uh, as I have these conversations, do what I did previously where they point at the complete void of leadership development education, but they're developing this thing is called uh, enlisted leadership development, like leadership courses. Um, they call it ELD. And then uh, ENLIC it's uh, I think it's Naval leadership and education center. I probably butchered that. Um, they they're establishing that sites on in major fleet concentration areas. And it's basically going to be, they revised all the courses. So there's like a, they call it like beginner, intermediate, advanced. And then there's a chief's course, like for chiefs, not, it's not a course for like transitioning. Like there's a, there's still a course for like chiefs that were selected, but not yet penned. But then there's like a, a chief course after the fact, like for, for chiefs that are penned and doing the job, like there's a leadership course for them as well. And they do yeah. them uh, in fleet concentration areas. They certify facilitators and then the facilitators do the courses. They, you're basically, what's happening in practice is you're pulling the facilitators from shore commands, like senior enlisted folks, they get certified and then they're teaching or facilitating the courses for all like the fleet units. So it's kind of, it's like a compromise. What I've seen in practice as it's still pretty in it's in its infancy, it's being rolled out, but it's like a, in my area, at least I'm sure there's probably someone doing it better somewhere else, but they're, they're, having issues getting enough like facilitators certified and then because they don't have enough facilitators they're having a trouble like getting enough of the classes online to be meaningful but the stuff that has happened uh super super positive feedback on so uh it's they're trying <laughs> and it's like yeah and i think once this gets fully stood up it's gonna definitely make a dent uh it's significant it looks like they're putting some resources behind it and hopefully it starts to uh, affect some change, but the, it, it, it all revolves around the premise of like, how do you right now? It's not mandatory. They haven't replaced the mandatory requirement for like PO and doc with this yet. They said they're yeah. going to, but until you make, until you're tracking it and building it into a sailor's career development, it's like, it's just some like nice to have over in the corner. You know what I mean? Like, uh, well like, then how do you figure in like, commands being undermanned and not being able to lose somebody for two weeks or whatever to like kind of go do that because that's another thing i feel like 
we dealt with in the Navy more than like, for example, my brother did because it's like, hey, you have this training opportunity or whatever, go and we'll be fine. And in the Navy, it's always like, we can't lose this one person that only knows how to like do everything. Like that, that's my counter argument is like, how often (laughs) is that true? Like, I'm not saying we're not undermanned all over the place because we are. But how often is it true that I can't spare Sailor X, right? Like it, if we're going on deployment, I get it. But like how many times during import periods can I spare a sailor for a week or two? Or is there a mechanism for like meet like facilitators coming to the ship and doing it two hours a day? Because the, yeah. there's ways like you could you could come out with all kinds of reasons why you can't get a sailor for two solid weeks of eight hour days to a brick and mortar schoolhouse offsite. And I get that, but like there's a bazillion ways that I can affect this leadership development and education through all kinds of different mediums without removing them from the work center for a hundred percent of the time. You know what I mean? Like there's so many ways to solve this problem right now. They're doing it where it's kind of a traditional brick and mortar classroom, eight hours a day style thing. But I think that they're they're already thinking about like, how are we going to get around all this so that we can make it a requirement and also maintain like a robust, like meaningful program. So we'll see like how that develops and and what it what kind of change it affects. But I, I it's definitely better than what we had. It's still developing. So it's I'm. I'm really optimistic, but I, you know, <laughs> I've been let down before. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but I'm excited that they're at least looking at it and they're taking it yeah, seriously. I they're am- also doing stuff. Have you? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so have you heard of they have, they have this thing called warrior toughness? Have you heard about that? Uh-uh. You should check that out. So j- if you just Google it, like Google it, if you look it up on YouTube, uh, they ha- they've created a program called Warrior Toughness. I shared a video a while back too on Facebook, but uh, it's they created a course. It's like targeting resilience and it starts at RTC and they basically have like a Navy SEAL, a chaplain and um, who's the other one? I want to say it's like a psych psychiatrist or psychologist or something like that i'm i don't even know the difference between those two don't judge me one can give meds (laughs) one can't (laughs) okay so it's and i forget what it was but like they're all in the video and they're, they're talking about they basically built this course around resilience and i think it's kind of like you know everybody was like oh they got stress cards at boot camp now and like like where they can like don't I don't think that was ever real uh, from what I can tell. Everybody said it was happening. But then every time I asked somebody, including RDCs, they were like, no, nah, that's not real. But they I think they were developing a, a prototype of this where it's like they built into the course a like really thoughtful program on how to deal with stress and how to communicate that stress to leadership and like what to do. And they're preparing all the RDCs and all the other instructors that are there to have those conversations with sailors and then how to create an environment where sailors are uh, comfortable kind of bringing that up to their leadership. The problem I see is that once they leave the safe haven of RTC and get to the fleet, they're going to start getting punched in the face like everyone else. Cause that's what happens with military bearing and uniform standards and grooming <laughs> is that we build this 
like fantasy land in, at RTC where we're like, hey, this is we're getting you ready for the fleet. And then they like get out to the fleet and it's not real. And yeah. you've got LS2 telling them like, ah, don't call me petty officer. That's not real. You're in the fleet now. And it's like they basically spend the first six months tearing everything down that was built at RTC. So I until and until they make it a fleet wide thing, like they're they're preparing them for something that doesn't exist because they're not going to be able to like, well, I, I'm not discounting everything because I'm not an expert, but like it's definitely super valuable tools and like the resiliency stuff they build in, like they give them all these tools to deal with the stress, which is amazing. And and like some of the stuff will serve them really well, regardless of how their interactions go when they get to a ship in the fleet. But like there's a lot of it that's kind of built on you need to be comfortable bringing this to your leadership. And then like we already talked about when they bring it to their leadership, what kind of response are they going to get? Yeah. If that leader they're you bringing have to it have to have that isn't trust that your leadership right. is going to have your back with anything, yeah. whether it's like mental health or military sexual trauma or anything, right. You know, you have to feel like they're going to have your back, but resilience training is really, really important, especially when you have right. people coming in who are young and they don't yeah, know how to yeah. deal with all of this stuff. And then on top yeah, of that, I, they have family issues and yeah. just deployment and stuff. And and it can be a lot for people. I think I was blessed that I was older. So a lot of the stuff right. I didn't really deal with because I had already kind of been around the block. You know, but right. when you have somebody right. literally coming from mommy's house washing their clothes putting them away in their drawers and now you expect them to just like handle everything yeah yeah and that that's what i was gonna say is like i feel like a lot of them are are we're the one thing that i think continuously changes by generation is there is less and less adversity in people's lives obviously that's not across the board, but like just with the the world becoming what it is, like you have literally all of the world's information at your fingertips. Like yeah. when I was a kid, I didn't have this. Like I, I wasn't able to Google like, so I'm a homeowner now, right? So like I wasn't able to Google how to hang drywall and then watch a 30 minute YouTube video by an <laughs> expert on how to solve this problem I have, right? I just had to figure it out or yeah. call my dad and hope he knew, you know what I mean? Like, so, and that's if, you know, most, do all people have that resource? Not always, right? So it's like, you you just trial and error or go ask somebody if you know somebody, but now you can literally Google anything and listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube video or whatever and solve a lot of your problems. So it's like the types of adversity that people are facing or not facing, I feel like affects a lot of their ability to deal with like interpersonal like conflict or interpersonal communications. Like you're not going to be texting everybody while you're at sea to deal with all your problems. You're going to have to have face to face, face conversations with people. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of young people don't know how to deal with that because they don't do it very often. Yeah. So they got to learn all those skills in addition to the normal stress. And I think you have to kind of just be willing to like, tell people really personal information that you right. don't know where very well. And right. that was a hard thing for me. Cause I remember when I was going through like all my crazy marriage stuff and you would tell me like, you have to talk, <laughs> you have to let me yeah. know what's going on. And I was like, I'm not, I came from a command where that was not it, you know? Yeah. So it's just being willing to say like, Hey, this is what's going on and I don't know what to do and I need help. Yeah. And I think that is what is so exciting about that warrior toughness thing is it's, 
it's teaching that and it's cool. You should, you should watch the video. I think you'd enjoy it a lot. It's, it's definitely, uh, I think they're piloting it right now and then they have a planned, they have a planned rollout where it is going to expand out. I remember when I had, Um, went to Tang, the, um, tactical advancements for the next generation and the, um, the leader of like the North Atlantic fleet. What was his name? Uh-huh. Don't have me making up names. But anyway, <laughs> he came and talked to us and they yeah. were talking about like a toughness thing or like uh-huh. resilience training. Um, right. So I wonder if that was like the thought and this is kind of yeah. now them it, putting it, it into could action. Be. I mean, the, the video kind of explains the origin story a little bit where it was. I think it was. I, and I don't know if the if big navy put him in a room but like somebody basically just like called up this navy seal and was like hey man we want you to work with this chaplain and this other person and i, I can't remember the the like skill that they had it was like psychologist or psychiatrist something like that um and we're gonna put you three in a room and we need you to figure out this resiliency problem and build something to to we're gonna pilot it here and then expand it out to the fleet and it's it's pretty cool and it's I, like and I think they they leveraged all the right tools because it's one of those like there's just that cool factor of a dude wearing a trident explaining to you how to be tough because it's yeah. like I'm never going to question that like if no. he tells me this is how you're going to be tough even if everything he's saying is coming from the social worker or psychologist or psychiatrist and the chaplain standing behind him if a Navy SEAL is telling a bunch of 18 year old junior sailors, like this is how you be tough. Like, of course they're going to listen. Yeah. So it's, it was brilliant that they employed that. And obviously they have, you know, expertise in that field as well. So it's, it was, it was really cool. I I was pretty excited about when I, when I saw that, because a lot of the blowback I've seen from all the uh, suicide issues that have come up, like all the statistics are super high and there's all been all these really public, like just ridiculous, scenarios the, where sailors the are one, there was like three on one ship and like yep there was three on the bush yeah. um and it's funny i actually uh i know the chief that is inbound to be the command climate specialist there it's not it's like the person that's above simios um they have mm-hmm. one on a carrier um and she's on her way to go do that job and we've talked about we talked about it a little bit and I'm interested to see like and she's God, the perfect person for the job like. too. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's what she was she told me. She's like, I'm about to go back to sea to do that job on that ship. Oh and, my god. Oh my god. If I was, <laughs> I was a sailor on like, that ship, I a hundred percent would uh, want to leave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, but I would I mean, be like, Y'all gotta get me out yeah. of here. This this chief is the perfect person for that job. So I'm excited to see. Suicide how is something that goes, that's but. so contagious too. I don't know why. Once it starts, why is it that? definitely. I don't know if other somebody yeah. else doing it makes you feel like it's okay and it's more um, yeah. of um, a tangible like, thing for you. Yeah, I feel like it, you almost got to be thinking about it already, I would think. And then if you see someone else do it, you're like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I mean, I definitely that, that is, already thinking yeah. about it. That is a way out, even though it, I don't, yeah. We had I've an eight-year-old boy here in Scranton kill himself two days ago. And it's it's been devastating, you know, and they've been talking about mental health kid? with kids. And I'm just like, eight years old. Just, eight years old? Like, yeah. what do you, wow. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. I, and I've, I've noticed that with like, it's kind of like that with the active shooter phenomena too, where I'm just like, is this contagious? Cause it feels, it feels that way. Like yeah. it's contagious, almost like, like people see, which I, the scenarios with the active shooter thing have been wildly varying on like who's doing it. And all yeah. this. So it's like, I, but it just, it feels that way. Like, like almost like it's, it's like contagious. Like somebody gets, I don't know if inspired is the right word, but like they get, they see something that's happening. The right word. Yeah. Inspired in a bad way, but yeah. Right. With negative connotations attached, obviously, but yeah, it's like, it feels that way. And so does this, the suicide thing in the, in the military, it feels like it's contagious in a way. And I don't like, yeah, that that was the part I was having a hard time wrapping my mind around. It's like, why? Like, and that's how you have to really why. like she has a big job coming in because you have to totally change right. that whole climate mm-hmm. to right. get that off of people's m- minds, you know? Right, right. And it, I don't even know where you would start, you know, like, and I far from an expert, like I was a simio for a little while and I, I understand like the Navy mechanisms available, but I feel like you'd have to you have to bring in like a bunch of outside resources to completely change the command climate. Like, you definitely I, would. Good grief. Yeah. I, I'm going to be super interested to talk to her about that kind of stuff. I don't think I'm going to be able to drag her out of the podcast because I've tried already. <laughs> like, I don't know how, like, cause you would need counseling for like 5,000 people. Yeah. And, but I think you would need, I like, so you, Counsel, grief counseling and, and other types of counseling. Sure. The warrior toughness thing would be amazing, but I think it would, it would almost be like a, the culture shift would need to involve what we were talking about earlier, like creating an environment where they can trust their leadership, where you can like, you understand that even if it's not your direct leadership, there is someone somewhere that you can go to and have that type of a conversation behind a closed door whether it's counselors or whatever. And I think like we, I had conversations with some people previously about like, I think some of this stuff exists already and maybe it's not of high quality. Maybe it's not leveraged or people just aren't aware of it, but like (laughs) there's a, there's like stuff where like for the submarine force, we have what's called embedded mental health professionals. So like on the waterfront, a sailor can just walk up the hill and go talk to like walk in, no appointment, no nothing and talk to a mental health professional if they're struggling. Yeah. And it's like, you don't got, you don't got to do anything. You just got to tell your supervisor, Hey, I'm going up there and talking to somebody. And you're like, okay. Then they go and you figure it out. Um, and that's, it's been a lot of leadership training has gone into that where, uh, the people running the program have flown around to all the fleet concentration areas for the submarine force and sat down with submarine COs and CMCs. And they're sitting down and saying, look, this is what it is. This is the mechanism that's available for you. This is why we're doing it so that because the goal is not to remove sailors from ships. It's to get them back to fully functional and mission ready. So it's like we're trying to minimize your losses and everything else, which is exactly what they want to hear because all the unplanned losses and everything was affecting the mission on their spreadsheet manning spreadsheet. So they yeah. want to fix that. Um, but, but then you have to worry about, too, is just. I remember having one of my junior sailors on a Lincoln who was just going through a whole thing. She ended up going to talk to the psych, but then she lost her clearance. So she wasn't allowed an armory anymore. So now you're like taking away her job 
embarrassing right. her because now everybody is asking, why can't you come in? Why can't you come in? Yeah. Why can't, you know, and, and I think that's changing. I don't I'm far from an expert and I want to make that very clear. But when I talked to Chief Khan a bunch about this type of stuff, it was uh, he he sought help for PTSD um, and didn't lose his clearance, didn't have any issues with that. And a lot of it, it, like, I think it used to be a thing and it has changed in the last however many years. That's um, good. I, th- I don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> I I'm pretty so. sure it's changed. Uh, it's changed significantly because, because like I have a very high security clearance and I've had, uh, I mean, it was really early on, but I had interactions with mental health, uh, when I was a junior sailor and it didn't affect me at all back then. And did then follow on didn't affect my ability to get a higher clearance yeah. when I went to a job that required it. So, um, yeah, I, I think it like it was a thing. And I honestly think because of some of the things that have happened recently, like it, like you, they're going to, yeah, you shouldn't take I think they're gonna be, job because they're asking for help. Well, I think they're going to be quick to remove people from like gun lists and access lists to firearms anytime there's stuff like that going on now. Well, it's going to be a knee jerk reaction to stuff like uh, what happened on uh, the Columbia and what happened at Pensacola. And um, I think they're going to be really quick to react to that. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. And it's. I don't think the security clearance thing is as big of an issue as it used to be anymore. Um, yeah. I, I'll do some research on that. I need to figure that out um, because I like I've had, I mean, I had a kid recently with like huge financial issues, like car was repoed, all kinds of crazy stuff happened. And um, I brought it up to our security manager and they're just like, yeah, we just have to report it, but it's probably not a big deal. And so I think they're, they're becoming a little more understanding because well, it, it became an inventory thing too. I think where it was like that we can't remove everybody's clearance. So we need to figure out where the, where the line is and what's actually serious. Cause you don't want people to regret their decision. I still remember her looking at me crying, telling me, I wish I never said, I just want to do my job. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that has come up too, where it's, it's definitely something that's being built into the reactions to these things by leadership is like, if they have to be removed for whatever reason, it was something I talked to the Sark about a bunch is when like, so like if a sailor has to be removed from the ship yeah. or the work center or whatever for a sexual assault case, it's like, give them something valuable to do because yes. that's one of the chief complaints is like, I just want to do my job. Like I feel like I, the, the same guilt we were talking about earlier. Like if I didn't deploy for a medical issue, like, I have that guilt of not being able to contribute. And now somebody's having to carry my load for me. It's like, no, I, that's not okay. Yeah. So giving them something to like valuable to do to make them feel they're True, not making them huge. feel like they're being punished. Right. Because they told what happened to them. And, and that's right, kind of a hard thing, especially if both yeah. of them work in the same work center right. or in the same department and stuff that, you know, that makes it really hard, but. Right, right. Because then when they're yeah, going to and- counseling appointments, it's like people will start to find out and not yeah. even because they're trying to be nosy, but just you're not going to be there. So if you they move you out of that situation to somewhere else and you have these appointments, mm-hmm. 
that's all the people are going to know about you. So it's going to seem like normal, not like all of a sudden, oh, sailor, whoever is now, you know, has to go to secret appointments three times a week and they're not around. And also like uh, the, I was a scenario with a sailor uh, reached out to me about what was happening with them, but it was sexual assault related. And um, there was some other stuff going on, kind of like you had, talked about earlier like a disciplinary issue as well where they wouldn't let her off the ship um until that was adjudicated oh and I'm like you can send a sailor TAD anywhere and like the being able to valuably contribute like I know it wouldn't translate everywhere but I feel like it'd be pretty close where like if and again like I, there's an inventory issue sometimes where like commands are going to be resistant because they don't want to lose a qualified sailor but the like so for for cooks, my career field, it's like I can take that sailor and put them at a base galley and they're still contributing, still doing their job every day. They're just doing it in a different place until the things are adjudicated. Yeah. And then if they get an expedited transfer somewhere else, it is what it is. But it's you can put them in a place, TAD, where they're removed from the situation and you're meeting all the requirements of, of the negative stuff that's attached to them staying Like we've removed them from that situation, but I can also put them in a place where they're doing something meaningful. (laughs) I don't understand why that's not done more because when I was having that conversation with the Sark, she was saying that's the chief complaint. It's like they all have expertise and training, like put them somewhere where they can use it. Like you can put a gunner's mate at the the base gun range and they can help run gun shoots like or do, I don't know, ammo inventories, clean guns. I don't know what you guys do, but like there's things that can be done. Like I can put that sailor in a place where they're doing their job or doing something really close to it. Yeah. It doesn't make I I because people make the choice to not transfer. And I yeah. feel like a lot of times that ends bad. Yeah. All the negative yeah. I- impact of them staying the whole, the whole purpose an expedited transfer exists. It, like all that negativity is, is something the sailor has to deal with. And that was, that was what happened with the sailor where she was dealing with effectively reprisal. Like they had to move her to another birthing and another work center and all this other stuff. And she was dealing with people harassing her and yeah. Um, ostracizing her and stuff like that so it was i mean yeah, and that's obviously a real a thing because people pick sides and it just right can turn really messy right they assume they understand the character of the accused or whatever and it's yeah that, and that's why i don't understand like just remove them like and i understand there's probably every every case is different um and there could be situations where uh like i on one of my submarines, there was a case where a kid, uh, something happened and the command treated it seriously and did everything they're supposed to. But the kid was like, no, I'm not leaving. I'm fine. Uh, It wasn't like, it was like groping. And so, and he was just like, look, I get it. It's serious. And I want it addressed, which you guys are doing, but I don't want to leave because I want to stay underway. And, and they end up removing the accused and whatever. So it worked out the same way, but uh, like I get it case by case, like it's going to be different every time. And there might be a scenario where it's perfectly fine for a sailor to stay, but I w- like staying for that reason. Like, and then all the negative stuff and yeah. I don't, yeah. Drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> me too. And I'm not. Yeah. Even. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Um, what else, what did we not cover? Is there anything you want to talk about uh, that we haven't already? Um, did I skip anything? Been going for an hour and 20 minutes. I know. 
me and you could always talk. <laughs> oh, I know. It's good. I'm I'm uh I'm happy about it. I like doing what like long form ones like this. That's cool to get to talk to people. And like these are the ones that I've been I've been talking a lot about. Like I've been encouraging on the podcast, like, hey, get a hold of me if you want to come on. Like, I literally don't care who it is. It can be Seaman Timmy fresh out of boot camp, or it can be like <laughs> it can be veterans, it could be like senior officers, I don't care, other services. Um, or like experts in their field that are no longer in the military kind of thing. But like I, it, whatever it is, if you like want to come on and talk, because there's so much I don't know. And it's, I feel like it's, I get a lot of perspective uh, by just talking to people that have other experiences. Cause like a lot of people ask me questions like, what do you think about this? And it's like, I have zero context on that. Like, cause like <laughs> I'm a submariner. So it's like things that happen on surface ships. Like when we talk about, when we talked earlier about the, the, separation of the chief's mess and stuff. It's like some of the stuff I had just like, I was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't de- like there yeah. is separation, but it's not anywhere near what it is on a surface ship. So like in, in other communities, I'm sure too, it's, it's like, it's different everywhere. And I don't always have experience or even any like level of knowledge at all about other communities and how they do things. And so it's hard for me to talk about it. So it's like, come well, on the that podcast I've and we can talk about it <laughs> about you is you're always willing to learn and always willing to look something up and you teach that to your junior sailors, you know, read it, find it, Google yeah. it, you know, ask somebody. And as a leader, you always have to be willing to learn and know more, you know, you taking yeah. an hour to go talk to a Sark is good because now when you're talking to your junior sailors and stuff, you actually know what you're talking about. And you're giving them good information. And I think that could really help a lot of different things. If people got SART training and got mental health training, and it doesn't have to be anything like crazy or long, anything like that, but just to get a general idea about it to kind of then know, like, how do you deal with this and and what do you do? That conversation was super helpful for that exact reason. Like I did I retain every detail? No, not at all. But I know exactly where to go when I need right. help. And I know I know what resources are available in these situations to like refer them to. Um and that's like it keeps me out of trouble. Like and it gives me the best it, it creates the best environment for me to take care of sailors, which is like the only thing I get paid for. So I don't that's why I I do it. Cause like I kept finding myself in situations where it was like I, all I want to do is take care of the sailor, but I don't know how. And I initially, again, when I was younger and more immature, it was, it was like a, I was kind of ashamed that I didn't know the answer because I'm chief and I'm supposed to know, right? Like I had those moments. Um, but I got to a point where I, 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 I grew up in the best possible environment as a young chief where I just had the, the submarine I was on all the chiefs were second tour chiefs or senior chiefs or master chiefs. And it was like, and it was the community was, uh, it was a special programs thing where it was, you had to apply and, and get screened and stuff. So the people that were all the, all the people that were there wanted to be there, especially like second term sailors. Like you had to volunteer again. Like it was everybody that was there really wanted to be there. So you got like, really strong experienced leadership. And so it was when I made chief there and then they let me stay, it was like a, it was like an, a chief Academy. Like it was like this, it was like a school for learning how to be a chief. It was, I, I couldn't, 
I couldn't do anything outside the lines without getting punched in the face. Like any time <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go over here and do something bad. It was like there was somebody there waiting to push me back inside the lifelines and be like, uh-uh, dummy, this is how you do that. <laughs> and like provide me that mentorship, whether I liked it or not. So I got really, really lucky that I got to stay in that environment. Um, and they were they were the ones that like made that okay. And I <laughs> I talk about that a lot too, where it's like, all you got to do is create a culture where it's okay to ask those questions. And it's okay for like, for, for anything from asking a question or like, like uh, for me to go ask you a question, like, cause that happens all the time where it was like, when we were there, I would come in and be like, GM two, what, what's going on with this? Okay. How do I do that? (laughs) Like, and it was okay for you to tell me how to do that. And then I would go do exactly what you told me to do because I know it's the right answer or I know you have experience with that, or I know you're the expert on this thing or whatever. It, and like then that making made it, okay it easier f- for me to come to you right. and ask you for stuff and, hey, how do I do this? Or where do I find this at? Or I don't know this. Right. Somebody asks me and I need to go back to them with an answer. And just being right, able to sometimes you- tell somebody, I will get back to you. I yeah. promise. Yep. You know, like, Perfectly but I need okay. to go find out so I can give you good yeah. information. And then even that and then creating a culture where it's like, it's okay for, for someone to co- like correct me for doing something wrong. Right. Like, so, cause it's going to happen. Like, yeah. Hey, s- chief, your, your covers on wrong or whatever. Like your, your blousing straps fell off and your boot legs screwed or whatever. Like some kind of like uniform thing. Like it's okay for a seaman to tell me that my hands are in my pockets, right? Yeah. Like I do it tactfully, but it's okay that you, you don't have to not say those things. Um, and you just create a culture where it's, it's okay to correct people. It's okay to provide backup and advice. And there's a, it's a submarining cultural thing to provide backup. Like you'll get in trouble if you had an opportunity to provide backup and you didn't. Like if you knew the right answer and you were on watch and something happened and you didn't challenge the CO or you didn't. And it's not it's not always like a perfect environment <laughs> where it's like a lot of times we say that and then like it's not always um, treated that way when it actually happens. Like you you provide backup and then somebody snaps at you. But yeah. the vast majority of the time it, it it is that way. It's like a cultural thing where backup is encouraged and expected. And if you don't do it, you're going to get a hard time for it. So some of it's that, but yeah, I, it kept me out of trouble. It like best equipped me to, to help you guys. And, and like you said, like it created uh, it like unintentionally, like, cause if you think about it, why was I pursuing that? Like I was doing it cause I wanted to make sure I could take care of you guys, but unintentionally created the, the two way street, right. Where yeah. Like you guys were way more comfortable uh, doing exactly what you should be doing. It, like it just opened up communication. So Yeah. Well, this was awesome. Yes, super was. glad we did this. Yeah, I'm super glad it we did so this. Good Hour to talk and a half. It was so good to talk to you too. Like, I'm really, really glad we got to do this. It was really awesome. I always open to doing it again in the future, especially if you like if you get that job. Oh, story time! Like, I want to hear all about the experiences doing that. Um, but yeah, I and, and like I said before, like I, I want to do this more. So, for those listening and and that enjoyed this. Uh, Hit me up. <laughs> yeah, we'll and it. if anybody has any questions for me or yeah, wants how to can get, they get in a touch with you? me, I have a website, amberviola.com. So you spell it's that? 
A-M-B-E-R-V-I-O-L-A.com. And there's a place in there where you can like contact me and send me a message and stuff. So, right. Amazing. What else is on the website? I've, ex- I've, I clicked on it once and kind of ran through it real quick, but you blog. Um, I correct? keep, uh, like kind of a blog that just updates okay. what I'm doing. So it talks about like the other podcasts I was on, TV shows, singing, um, gotcha. any type of upcoming speaking engagement I have will be on there. And I have videos of like my last speech and the last time okay, I sang yeah, the national yeah. anthem. Um, there's updates on my little girl because she's everything. Awesome. I know. I see her pictures on Facebook all the time. She's adorable. She's a doll. Yeah. She's so yeah. smart. Like you wouldn't even believe it. <laughs> I might. I might. I know her mom. Well, awesome. Anything else at all? Last, last save rounds. Um, be kind to everyone. Respect people, even if they don't respect you back. And... If you don't know something, ask. And please, if you're having any mental health issues or suicidal thoughts, um, please contact somebody. Yes, reach out. I will. I'll put the some of the data in the in the show notes. I, I all the resources people can reach out to uh, again uh, and do some of that in the conclusion as well. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This thank was you awesome. so much for having me. I really, Not really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I hope everybody enjoyed that. Uh, It was really cool doing it. It was really, really great to catch up with her uh, and to finally get an interview down. Again, you you guys caught her contact stuff. Check her out at amberviola.com. She does a lot of events, a lot of social media presence where she uh, shows all the things that she's doing and within the the veterans community and everything else. Uh, and then, like I said previously, if you guys need anything from us or you want to do something like this, be on an episode, do your own episode, be involved in some way, hit us up. Don't give up the podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the podcast, or you can DM me on Instagram at Digas podcast. Hit us up about just about anything. And if you need any help, reach out. You can reach out to me all the previously mentioned contact information. You can call the Military Crisis Line at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 or text 838-255 24 hours a day. You can call Military One Source at 1-800-342-9647. CONUS or OCONUS or there's another OCONUS number 703-253-7599. A uh, lot of other resources in the show notes. And again, if you need anything, reach out to, to me, to anyone that you know, anyone that you love, anyone at all, reach out. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs>